Greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph, one nine less than seventy two. And we're going to continue with uh, Matthew twenty one, verses thirty three and forty one, where the story goes on of the Church of God, the Church of Israel, and her king. This time in person with them, coming to bring them salvation, to save the sick to bring back the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to atone for their sins, and uh, obviously, through the process of his crucifixion and his death and his sufferings that he went through, and all that for his wife and also for the rest of mankind. And some people thought, well, after all that, Christ rejected his own wife, God rejected his own wife, his own people, and he chose us chose us, and now we are the Gentile church. And that was the counterfeit church. And so we read in verse 33, where he tells them about a parable. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and he listed two vine dressers, and went into a far country, now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers, and they, that they might receive its fruits. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. In other words, he's describing the story of Israel, and how he, as their husband, compared them to a vineyard. You can go to uh, Isaiah in chapter uh, 5, where he discussed that. And maybe we should go now at that point to this place. I generally don't go back and forth, but I think this will be good for us to read so we would understand uh, the continuity of the story. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, we read, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. And that's the parable that he's giving about his own church, his own people, his own wife. And even the reference here that they give is in Matthew 21:33, what we've just read. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared it, and cleared out its stones and planted it with a choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Now all inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah. This is a specific vineyard he's talking about. And of course, earlier before that, the house of Israel, and in general, we're speaking about the entire nation, but here in specific is talking about the men of Judah and Jerusalem, because that's only a part of the wife that remained behind. And this is to whom Isaiah is uh, writing these words. As we read in the beginning of Isaiah, that he spoke of this vision, and all this that he's going to write now, to Judah, and to, that is to Jerusalem and to Judah or Judah and Jerusalem, as he put it. And so this is what uh, Christ, who is inspiring these very words of Isaiah to be written, later on, when he came in the flesh, this is what he's talking about. He says, now on inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah. You see, now he's speaking to them through Isaiah the prophet, but as we are reading now in Matthew, he's really speaking to them in person, without a prophet in between. And so he says, you judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Who is the vineyard of God? 
inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah and all the rest of Israel, all the tribes. So you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have been could have been done to my vineyard that I had not done in it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor dark. And so, he's, in essence, he's talking about the fact that he's going to... Uh, to uh, bring destruction on his own people. In that case, he's speaking about Judah because Israel is already in captivity. But he's talking, in essence, about the whole nation too, as we shall see. Uh, it says, but uh, continue in verse 6, but there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. He's the one in charge of the weather. It's not Mother Nature. Verse 7, for the vineyard of the eternal of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold oppression. For righteousness, but behold a cry for help. And so, this is what he's talking now when he came in person, speaking to his own people, face to face. Not through the prophet Isaiah, or through visions. Of course, they did not understand. To them it was a parable. But had they believed Moses and the prophets, they would have immediately recognized what he's talking about. And so even his own disciples had to explain to them what he's talking about. Because they too seem to be a little bit hard in the head. And so this is what he's saying here. That he, he had a... Speaking about the vineyard and the landowner and uh, the fact that he sent his servants... And they kill them. He's speaking about the prophets. And then verse 37. Now he's speaking about himself. Then last of all he sent his son to them. Saying they will respect my son. Now here the father is speaking in essence. Through the voice of his son. Jesus Christ. But when the vine dressers saw the son. They said among themselves. This is the heir. Come let us kill him. And seize his inheritance. So he's speaking about his fate. To be crucified before it happened. That his own people, his own wife, his own vineyard, children of the, of the house of Israel, are going to kill their own God, their own maker, their own savior, their own deliverer. Of course they did not understand what they were doing. That's what he said. And some people forget that. The last statement that was on his mouth was, before he died, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Had they known, they would have not have not done it, you know. And so for the next 2,000 years and to this very moment, there are people there, especially around Passover time, when whenever they read the New Testament, they say, all oh, those evil Jews, those Christ killers, you know, let's go after them. And so there is anti-Semitism to this very day. And in the past, every chance they had, whenever they could, they went after them, they murdered them, they plundered them, they butchered them, they killed them, not realizing that themselves were children of the devil. And yet Christ about his own vineyard. Forgive them. They don't understand what they are doing. He didn't say, go kill them. So all those who call themselves Christians, members of Christianity, are all children of darkness, children of Satan. When they fill their heart with hatred against the people of God, the vineyard of God, the wife of God, 
members of the wife of God. And they too are going to come before the judgment of the great, of the great, uh, God, the God of Israel. And they'll have to answer for their actions and their own thoughts and feelings and they are today. And you encounter them even among the people of God who have anti-Semitism in their heart from birth. An undercurrent of anti-Semitism, hatred. And you know what God said about those people? Anybody who hates his brother in his heart is a murderer. Not a Christian. A murderer. You cannot be a murderer and a follower of Christ at the same time. So if you have hatred against anybody, I'm not talking only about the Jews. I'm talking about anybody. You are not of Christ. You are not of God. You are a murderer. And let's not play games. Too many people out there playing games, calling themselves Christian. They want to have a Christian nation here and get rid of all the minorities. If you are one of those, you are a murderer. You are not of Christ. Don't kid yourself. And so Christ continues the story about the, the vineyard. So, verse 37 the last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the, vine, the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And what is his inheritance? What is it that the Jews said? They said, We have to get rid of this prophet. Because if we don't, the Romans will come and take our country and our office. That's the inheritance. His own people. That was his church. That was his land. That was his people. That was his wife. Scriptures are very plain. There is no reason to be deceived. Verse 39, So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Well, they understood the fate of those who be behaving in that manner. And so they responded. And so in verse 42, he said to them, Have you never, have you never read the scriptures? Otherwise, you get it right in front of you. You go to the synagogue, you go to the temple, you read it every Sabbath. The law and the prophets, the Torah and the prophets. And so haven't you ever read that? Read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. You see, this work is of God. God planned all these things to happen. And the prophets that were inspired by Christ spoke of those things. And for people to say that the prophets of old, the prophets of Israel, were not a part of the foundation of the church, that's because they don't even know who the church is. You know, uh, there are those who are wise in their own conceit and they think they know it all. If they understood what the church is, they would never have said that. And you hear that in many places. And so you hear that, you know, uh, not only today, you know. This is a statement that was made, you know, in the past 2,000 years. You know, the prophets of Israel are for Israel, for the Jews. Moses is for the Jews. Sabbath is for the Jews. We've got a new religion. We've got a new prophet. We don't need all the others. Nothing new under the sun. And those who are children of Babylon, or at least are drinking from the waters of Babylon, are still drunk with it. And they think that they are of Christ. God says, come out of it if you want to be of me. Totally come out of it. 
And so in verse 43, he tells them, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. In other words, those of you who are rejecting my rule are not going to be in it. If that's the way you want it, and other people will come and replace you. It's not saying that I'm going to get rid of you, the people of Israel, and take me uh, a new wife made of all the Gentiles. It's not what he's speaking about. Only the ignorant who do not know the background say that. Don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that he's going to heal Israel. All of Israel shall be saved. He's going to restore them. But the rebels among them are going to be purged. And they would not be in the kingdom of Christ. That he will come down and establish on this earth and raise the tabernacle that is the Sukkah of David. And place David again as he resurrects him on his throne. And the twelve disciples on the throne of all the tribes of Israel. And he is the head of it. And the father is above him. That's the kingdom he's talking about, and this is the people he's talking about. And all of them are going to be the children of Israel, and some of them are going to be grafted from the other nations, but only a small number of them, minority of them. The wife is Israel. The wife is not the world. The wife is not the church made of all the nations of the earth. The wife is Israel, and some of the few that were grafted into Israel, as was always the custom and the manner of God from the beginning of time, from the days of Abraham. So it says in verse 44, And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whom or whomever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. That kingdom that is going to establish upon this earth is later on, well actually earlier, I don't know, if, I don't remember if we read through that, but the kingdom that Daniel spoke about, that he saw in a vision that was like a stone that was thrown and smashed the feet of the Babylonian system and filled the whole earth. And that's what he's talking about. And so God is warning his own people. Some of you are rebel rousers, you know, are rejecting me and will reject me no matter what. You're going to be in this category. You're going to be crushed. And he's speaking to us too. We either accept him all the way without Babylonish teachings, in, you know, in between, or else we're going to be in the category of the Babylon and all the plagues that come in Babylon will come on us too. And this is what he is quoting here, but the stone that later on Daniel mentioned also from uh, Isaiah the prophet. And uh, actually, this is from uh, this is from the Psalms in Psalm one eighteen and uh, verse twenty two to twenty three. But Isaiah spoke about about that kingdom, and they were described. Uh, either Daniel or Isaiah or, A or David or others all describe the same thing in different words. And in Isaiah 8, verses 11 to 15, he's speaking about the same subject also. And so, Jesus Christ became a stumbling block to, and maybe you should read that for sake of uh, reference, to uh, bind the two together. And some people don't realize that the entirety of the Bible is one book, one oracle of God on a continuous basis through different prophets, and there is no division, and you cannot say, well, we are a New Testament church. What do you mean by that? God has not made the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah yet, so what do you mean you are the, you are the New Testament church? Well, we're men, we are the first fruit of that coming church that God is yet going to bring from all the nations of the earth, and that nation of Israel is going to be born in one day, as we read earlier, then you're going to have the church. 
and to claim that we are the church today when we are just the first fruit, the pioneers. That means we don't understand the message. In Isaiah 8, this is what God is speaking about his own people, which we just read here. In Isaiah chapter 8, in verses 11 to 15, uh, we read, For the Eternal spoke thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of these people, saying, Verse 12, do not say a conspiracy concerning all these people, all that these people call a conspiracy. Today they talk a lot about conspiracy. Uh, they don't see that God is the one behind it. Nothing new under, under uh, heavens, you know, Solomon would say, nothing new under the sun. No be afraid of their threats, no be troubled. The eternal of hosts, him, you, shall hallow, sanctify that is. Let him be your fear and speak into the king of Judah at the time, King Ahaz. Because there was such a conspiracy at the time where the king of Syria and the king of Israel were conspiring against him. And it was what uh, people don't realize, God is the one orchestrating this whole thing. So when we talk about conspiracy, let's remember who's behind it. And so you tell them to, well, don't worry about this conspiracy, just remember me. You know, I'm, the, I'm your God, and I'm going to be, I'm the, the one that should be sanctified, and I'm the one that should fear. And so it, uh, this is what he says to Ahab. The eternal of hosts, him you shall sanctify or follow. Let him be your fear, not man, not any conspiracy. And let him be your dread. And he will be as a sanctuary, or in Hebrew, mikdash, holy place, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is what Christ is quoting by himself. And notice what he's saying here. He will be as a, a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to whom? To both the houses of Israel. How many people ever understood that? There are two houses of Israel. The house of Israel in the south, that is called the house of Judah, generally speaking. But when Israel was taken to captivity, the northern kingdom that God, gone, God, uh, through the prophets, many places, and uh, we heard it earlier, began to call his nation Judah, the only remnant of his people is the house of Israel, because they were, they were the house of Israel of the south. And so he says to both the houses of Israel, there's one in the north, one in the south. And as long as Judah was in the land, the house of Israel in the north was the only one, generally, that was called the house of Israel. But when the captivity was near on the house of Israel, God began to call Judah the house of Israel, or the people of Israel, and even the king of Judah were called the kings of Israel. And I think we went through that earlier. Anyway, we continue the story now in uh, in Matthew in chapter 24. There are an awful lot of things in between, but we cannot cover the whole Bible. That's up for every single one of us to read it. Personally, once we have this pattern and understanding of who the church is, we can understand it better. And so we go to chapter 24, and the whole chapter is the same describing what Jeremiah did in chapter 30, the tribal of Jacob, what Daniel did in chapter 12, and what Joel did in chapter 2. In other words, it's all one book, one God, one oracle, one church, one people. There are no divisions. God is not the author of division or confusion. Man is. And when we begin to speak like that, we are this and we are not that. You know, we are New Testament church, we are not Old Testament church. We don't know what we are talking about. It's one church. This one church is going to be renewed. 
Once God atones for the sins of all of Israel, which he did 2,000 years ago, but he has not applied it yet, because he hasn't brought them back yet. Most of them are dead. But when he brings them back, he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then, on the second year of the second resurrection, when it occurs, when all those of Israel that were dead, all this time, that died, and we're speaking not only from the days of Moses, uh, because the nation was formed in the days of Moses, but from Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, the twelve sons, and all their family, and all those who were in Egypt, until the coming out of Egypt, the Exodus, all of this are going to come back. Those who became spiritual, that is, receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, while in their lifetime and walked with God, they will become spirit beings and they will come up in the first resurrection. But the rest of the dead, not only speaking, you know, in, in when people go to Revelation, they're thinking specific about the whole world. And yet God speaks and speaks uh, specific about his own people first, then the rest of the world. And so when we talk about the rest of the dead, you have to think about Israel too. As a matter of fact, mainly Israel first, and then the rest of the dead of all the rest of the nations. Because God comes back to his own people first. And he's going, it says, to save the house of Judah first. Then he's going to bring the rest of Judah that is in captivity and the rest of Israel. Then he's going to deal with the nations. Always understand the pattern of the story. And that's what we read here. And so God is making it very plain. All the things that you're going to read here in uh, Isaiah, uh, that is in Matthew 24, you're going to read in reference to Israel, to his wife, to his people. And when he's talking about all the destruction that is coming on the temple, that's his own people, his own city, his own nation. And then when he's talking about people becoming lawless, and when he's saying in verse 9, that he will deliver you out to tribulation and kill you, and you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's speaking also about Israel and the rest of the nations of the earth. Because it was Israel that killed her prophets. And there are many in Israel today in the past 2,000 years who did not know who they are. When they saw people who served God, they mocked them and made fun of them and now and then killed them. And unfortunately, they became a part of the, of the churches of Revelation 17. And to this very day, if you go to the children of Israel, you tell them you're the children of Israel, they'll mock you. And if they can, they'll kill you. And so he's speaking in specific about his own people and then the rest of the nations. And then he says, verse 10, and then many will be offended and will betray one another. And here we see it even among ourselves. We don't need to go far. Among children of Israel, many of them are the children of Israel uh, today and many were in the past. And that's the way it was all the time. The overwhelming majority of God's people today are still, as it was in the days of old, children of Israel. And then others were also grafted. And nobody needs to feel uh, superior or inferior. Nobody feel, needs to feel bad. And there are some people say, well, if you begin to talk about Israel, uh, you know, better watch you know what you're saying because people got a bit offended. We're not talking about being offended. We're talking about facts and reality. If this is what God had done, what do we need to apologize for? We should think like God, not like men. It's not of our own making. We haven't chosen ourselves. God chooses us. It's up to Him. Yes, there shouldn't be any need there to feel inferior or superior or to feel bad. This is the work of God, not the work of men. Some people think like human beings and so they begin to talk like human beings instead of thinking from the point of view of their God and His teachings. And so He's speaking about an awful lot of false prophets in our midst and we see them. 
And because lawlessness, that is, disobedience to the Torah, to the teachings of God, from Genesis to Revelation, because of that, that is going to abound, the love of many will grow cold, and we see that, we are experiencing that, verse 14, in this gospel of the kingdom. But what kingdom is he talking about? The kingdom of Israel. The one that the disciples said, Lord, will you restore this time the kingdom to Israel? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And in other words, Christ told his disciples, he will not go to all the cities of Israel. That's the emphasis of the message. And then others who are being grafted also. But the emphasis is on Israel. And so you know, this is the gospel that goes into all the world where, all, where Israel is everywhere. Scattered everywhere. They have concentrations, but they're also scattered all around the earth. And then also in the process, many others are being called of the nations. And so he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, now look how he brings it back to his own nation, his own people, in specific place. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, you see the prophets prophesying about events in the history of the church, but of the church of Israel, there is no separation there. Then are the prophets of old, the modern prophets, what the speakers about these coming days, as well as in the past. There's no time limit. God is eternal. His message is eternal. The prophets spoke eternal things. People forgot that. They called it the prophet of old. Yeah, they lived in the old days. That's true. But the message goes on because it's the message that came from God. And so he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Verse 16. Then let those who are where? In Judea, flee to the mountains. Why is he speaking about Judea? Why not Rome? Why not Tower, Texas? Why are all the other places on the face of the earth where supposedly the church is everywhere? You know, universal church. We call it by different names today, even in our own midst. But it's the same word. So let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and so forth. And then he talks about in verse uh, 21, For then there will be great tribulations, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And the problem begins from the center of where events occur. Jerusalem, the center of the church, the center of the wife, the center of the kingdom, the symbol of the nation. All the nations of Israel were scattered abroad. And the message is very plain. Who the church is and where the church is. Who and what. And so he said, that trouble is going to be so great that if not for the elect's elect sake, those days will be shortened. And the elects are generally the children of Israel and the few others of the nations that were grafted with them. But the central message is always on the church that is Israel, past, present, future. And then also with the, uh, against or around those who are with them and affecting them also. Because when you come to believe in the God of Israel, you're going to be affected by it adversely, unfortunately, by people who hate that religion.
And ironically, many of them call themselves Christians. And so, in verse 24, he speaks about them. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so there are going to be all those many people out there calling themselves Christians, and they're going to go after the elect, the saints, the wife of God, the people of God. As you read in Revelation 12, the woman, and that woman is Israel, past, present, and future. It's not somebody else. Some people think, well, that woman in the past was ancient Israel, and now it is the church. And that's ignorance. It's always the church, the same one, past, present, and future. That's what is called the wife and the, the woman, you know, the 12 stars, 12 stars of Israel. The message is very plain. There is no need to pervert it, only send send it. And so Christ warned them, I told you, I told you all, of all these things well in advance. You don't need to be confused and deceived like others. Anyway, you can read through the scriptures, there are an awful lot of things there, many details. We don't need to read everything, just to give you highlights. And as it is, you're getting plenty, so nobody can say, well, I never knew. God makes it very plain. And you can read the end of the story to uh, the end of the book of Matthew, but we're going to go now to Mark. And in Mark chapter 1, this is what we read. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, the tidings. The word in Hebrew is tidings, not gospel. Uh, people think gospel, well, that's a... Uh, a term that is applied to the church, speaking about the Gentile church. And so they change even the words. They don't want to say the tidings, because this is what the prophet said. Of course, they said it in Hebrew, Besorah. And Besorah could be either good or bad. Tidings could be either good or bad. And so they gave it a new name, gospel. Yeah, this is not what God used. And this is not the word God used. He used the word tidings in English or in Hebrew, Besorah. And this is the beginning of the, of the tidings of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written to the prophets. See the prophets there? They are the foundation of the church. Behold, I send my messenger, speaking specific about Malachi, who will prepare your way before you, and then speaking to uh, the message recorded by Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, in Isaiah 40, Prepare the way of the eternal. You see? The eternal. The word Lord here is the eternal. In other words, that came, the one that came, Jesus Christ, is the eternal. And for people to say and have this controversy, who is God? Is it the Son of God? Is it God the Son? And they're totally confused. It's because they're blind. They don't believe either Moses or the prophets. And it's a waste of time to argue with people like that and write articles about the subject. Well, the matter is very plain. Prepare the way of the eternal. Make his path straight. And he is the one that came. Well, the story is very plain. So you go to Malachi 3, 1, you read about that. The eternal who is coming to his temple. Adon, the Lord, the Master. That's why they call him the Lord. Master, Lord. Adon, in Hebrew, that's how they addressed him, Adon. And only he was called by that. And that's why he told them, don't call any man Adon, Master. That's what he meant. He didn't say don't call people uh, teacher. Well, if they're teachers, they're teachers. God appointed many teachers. But he said, don't call them Adon, because only one is your Master, and he's in heaven. 
And so the story is very plain. Now let's continue to uh, verse 14. We'll read. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That means preaching the gospel, the tidings, that God is going to restore his kingdom to Israel. That's what the subject is all about. The good news of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. But God is going to establish his kingdom. Only what they didn't realize, it's 2,000 years down the road. But he came to begin to establish a group of followers to whom the Spirit is going to be given, just like it was given to the prophets, only this time it was going to be different, different because the Father is the one begetting all of them. And since he gave his body and his life, the way to the Holy of Holies was opened. Well, before it was not. God gave the Spirit to his prophets, to his servants, but it was not in this manner where the Father, after Christ atoned for the sins of all, opened the road now for the more people, all the children of Israel, to be called now and to, be received, uh, to receive the Holy Spirit and to become his sons. And they become, as the time goes on, a part of the greater concept of what the, God, the, the, you know, the kingdom of God is all about. Members of that kingdom. Uh, others already qualified for it like David and Abraham and all the prophets and the righteous men of old, righteous men, righteous women. And so this is what he's talking about. And the message is very plain. It shouldn't be that difficult, speaking about Israel, the church. Now let's go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Here we read, And again he entered into Capernaum, speaking about Christ, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. And what word did he preach to them? What the prophets recorded. What Moses recorded. And I explained to them that he is the king, and he is the savior, and he is the ruler. And he preached to them about the kingdom of God that is coming to earth, and the resurrection of the saints. That's the word he's preached to them. If you have no background, don't know what you are reading. A lot of people, unfortunately, don't when they read it. And so we go to verse 18. And we read in verse 18. The disciples of John, or the Pharisees, were fasting, where some people came to him and said, Well, how come the disciples of John were fasting, but yours are not? And so he explains to them, verse 19, And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? And who are the friends of the bridegroom? His own disciples. Who are his own disciples? Children of Israel. So if he is the bridegroom, who is the bride? Children of Israel. That's the church. The message is always plain. But without background, you read scriptures, you don't know what you're reading. And you don't understand it. And so the children of the bridegroom, they do not fast as long as he is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Speaking about his own people, his own church, his own children of Israel, and a few others grafted among the nations. And then he warned his own people, his own disciples there, and those who gathered to hear him. He says, don't mix up old stuff and new stuff together, you know. No one sews a piece of unshrunk clothes on an old garment. In other words, you're mixing your, your own ideas 
with the truth of God and says, that's not going to work because you're not going to be able to understand it. And you can't do that. And he wasn't saying to them, look, I'm bringing you a new religion now. Don't mix up the old religion with the new religion. As some people said, well, this is what he was talking about. He wasn't doing that. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 12 where we read, speaking again about the mystery of the kingdom. Verse 11, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom. In other words, after telling them all kind of parables, and others did not understand, and then he explained to them, and all those parables were given earlier in different forms by the prophets. And so speaking about it, and every time you read about the kingdom of God, always think about the kingdom that God is going to establish in Israel, and is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and through Jacob, that was called for that commission, He's going to bring light to all the nations of the earth. And if you don't understand it from this point of view, you don't understand anything. You just invent your own religion. And you have a counterfeit religion and you are in Babylon. And even if you have a mixture of both, you are in Babylon. If you totally come out of it and understand it as God told it, in his own words, either in person or through the prophets, from Genesis to Revelation. And that's the true history of the Church of God, if you want to understand what it is. So he told his own disciples, the mystery of the kingdom of God is given to you to understand, but not to them. And so he's quoting now, in, uh, in verse 12, what he told earlier in person to Isaiah in chapter 6, as we read it earlier, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, speaking about his own people, his own wife, his own church, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. In other words, this is not the time. I haven't chosen now to save all of Israel. That's in the future. The Holy Seed, the wife of God, the people of God are going to be saved en masse as a nation at the end time when he comes. In between, he's just going to call few among them and they're going to be the first fruit of the New Testament church that is going to be born when all of Israel is brought back and God makes a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And by then, all those who were called in between were the first fruit, the pioneers, and that's all we are. We're not the church. We're the pioneers of that church. We're the first fruit. We're not the harvest. We're the beginning of the harvest. Just like Christ himself. He's the first fruit. He's the head of the body. He's not the body. The entirety of his life is the body. He's not the body, he's the head of the body, and he's a part of the body because of that. And likewise we, we are the first fruit, we're the pioneers, we're the boy scouts, so to speak, you know, we're the scouts that the army sends before they come, we're the spies, you know, that Moses sent into the land to scout the land. They were not the, the children of Israel, uh, the nation, the people, the armies of Israel, they were the, the scouts and the spies of the armies of Israel, yes, they were all Israelites and so are we. We're all members of the church. But we are not the church. You have to understand it, the whole picture, and properly comprehend it. The church is yet to be born. And so this is what he's saying there. I don't intend to forgive them at this point, at the end, as I told you earlier. And so the message is very plain. That's why he speaks to them in parables. His own people, his own bride. And uh, he makes it very plain through Isaiah, through many other places. In Hosea chapter 2, as we read earlier, in verses 14 to 20, it's the, at that time, 
when he going when he's going to bring back his people Israel from all the nations of the earth that he's going to forgive their sins and then he said I'm going to betroth you unto me in justice and in righteousness and so forth and so forth you know and then she's going to be the wife Israel is going to be the wife and he's going to be their husband and people do not understand the message from the point of view of what God said to begin with from the beginning of the book until the end they read the New Testament what they call the New Testament because I think the church was established 2,000 years ago and it was not. God was calling the first fruit. That's why he called us a little flock. That's all we are. And they think in those terms and they apply everything they read here in what they call the New Testament to this supposed new entity, new organization called the church. And they think Israel is something else. And that's total ignorance. We must not be ignorant, but... We must be the wise who understand, not the fools who don't. In chapter 7 of Mark, we continue the story, where we read in verses 5 to 8, the words of Christ as he's speaking to his own people, and he constantly deals, and mind you, this is Christ, this is a husband standing here in person speaking to his wife. So when you, think, when you read about Christ, and when you read about the Pharisees and scribes, understand that you're reading about the wife of God. You see, he didn't die yet. That's still his wife. And as it is in his own mind, there will always be his wife. Even though he died, he's going to bring them back to himself, renewed with the Holy Spirit. And God who calls those things which are not as though they are, still regards them as his wife. As he said through Jeremiah, yes, I sent you into captivity, I give you a bill of divorce, but you return to me because I am married to you. That's what he means. Calling things which are not as though they are. And so in verse 6, speaking to them, he said, and, and he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people, that's my, my wife, my people, my church. This people honor me, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And God was not happy with that kind of a wife. That's why he's going to renew that wife, and renew the heart of that wife. Give her a heart so she can love him. But their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, and they still do to this very day. And in our own midst there are many who still teach commandments of men, and they do it all in vain. And when they teach doctrines of men also, and the concept of the church being a separate entity is a doctrine of men, it's all in vain. And so it says in verse 8, for laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men. What did they call it later on? The Torah became as the Jewish Torah of the God of the Old Testament, that old harsh monster. And now we don't go after the Torah. Now we've got our own Christian principles and doctrines and values and ethics and all those things and so forth and so forth. And then in verse 8, uh, we read, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. And he gave an example of it. And there are many other examples. And the reality is that instead of sticking very closely to what Moses told them, you do not add anything to this Torah, no diminish from it. They went on and began to interpret and reinterpret, and different rabbis were interpreting other rabbis. And that became the halakha. And then, to make it legitimate, and to give it 
credibility. They invented the story, which God didn't tell them to do that, and Moses didn't record any of that, that the halakha, that is the oral law, their own inventions, which they set down long, long, long after Moses, 1,500 years down the road, and Moses knew nothing about it, and now they claim, well, when God gave the law, the written law to Moses, which he wrote, that is, the Ten Commandments God himself wrote, and then the rest of the commandments Moses wrote, and then they said that he gave him also at the same time the oral law. Now the reality is that God gave him an oral law, that's true. An awful lot of instructions that were not even recorded, as later on Paul would say that many of those things were given by the disposition of angels, and uh, many messages that were given to, to Moses and were not recorded, and for that matter an awful lot of messages that were given down the road year after year, uh, month after month, whenever there was a need to the high priest, through the Urim and the Tumim, when there was a question, he could go to God and receive an answer. Yes, all that was a part of the oral law. But it was not what the rabbis invented. It's what God gave Moses. It's what God gave Joshua. It's what God gave the prophets. It's what God gave the Sanhedrin. When they were inspired by him, because they had the Holy Spirit, from the days of Moses, 70 of them received the Holy Spirit so they can govern the nation along with Moses, and that continued generation after generation when they were obedient to God and he gave it to the high priest. That's the oral law, not what the rabbis wrote 1,500 years down the road. So to mix the two of them and claim that all that is the oral law, this is where the deception came, and that became known as the halakha. So the halakha is in essence, unfortunately, tragically, for many, do not know which is which, is a mixture of both instructions that God really gave orally and then instructions that the rabbis themselves wrote at the time and as time went by for many, you know, for centuries and they mixed the whole thing together and this is what God calls vomit because that's the rabbinic uh, law anyway we're going to stop at this point and this is Mordecai Joseph saying again greetings to all of God's people until next time the preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.